0: If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast. The Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors. Observing the return of wonder and curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. The focus of this month's conversation is all about getting outdoors. This month, we are also collaborating with the Outdoor School Shop. The Outdoor School Shop's goal is to make it easier for parents and teachers by curating a selection of outdoor gears that are suitable for all kids regardless of the type of outdoor program they attend. In essence, it's the one-stop shop for outerwear that would live up to the heavy demands of outdoor schools, but they didn't stop there. The Outdoor School Shop also provides valuable content about the benefits of outdoor education and how to make the most of it for not only your family, but also your school. They have a comprehensive checklist of exactly what your kiddos will need for outdoor school, based on your location it's absolutely incredible so the outdoor school shop is also the proud owner of the most comprehensive directory of outdoor oriented schools and programs in north america so if you're looking for an outdoor school for your child their directory can help you find an outdoor school near you or if you are a school founder Looking to get your program in front of interested parents, check to see if you are on the list, and if not, contact the Outdoor School Shop. So without further ado, I also want to let you know that if you're looking for outdoor gear, they are offering us a special. I want you to go check out the outdoor school shop for all your needs and get keep your kiddos dry and outdoors and use the code podcast at checkout and get 20% off any full price rain category item. We have Nicole Dravelis Fravel here, and she is the founder and lead teacher of the Wildwood Nature School. She holds a Master in Education from Stanford University and has 30 years of experience in early childhood field, including as a public school kindergarten teacher, museum director, and curriculum writer. For the past 13 years, she has operated a forest preschool in Portland, Oregon. Ms. Dravelis Fravel shares the joys and benefits of Nature Preschool through Wildwood teaching workshops and videos. Welcome, welcome everybody. We are here with Nicole Fravel and she is going to be talking to us about her Wildwood Nature School. Welcome, Nicole. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, Victoria. I've been
1: listening to your podcast and uh, just interested to see what
0: other schools are doing as well yeah this is terrific again like i was telling you earlier this entire month we are talking about just getting outdoors and i love 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 your story because it's really about becoming a forest school which we're going to do the backstory of how you came to where you are and uh but then again really just talking about the evolution of your school so welcome let's start with your backstory in terms of you have founded the wildwood nature school So tell us a little bit about you and how you came to where you are. Yeah, so I
1: actually started out as a public school, um, kindergarten and first grade teacher, And then when my children were born, I uh, worked for an Even Start program as a public school teacher. So that was my first experience with early childhood with a preschool classroom. Even Start is very similar to Head Start, except that it's not just a preschool program. It follows children birth through age eight, but it's a publicly funded program for low-income families. Mm -hmm. And then I did a little bit of time as a museum educator, a little bit of time as a consultant, uh, helping, again, low-income schools with improvement, and then started back into the preschool uh, when my younger child was preschool age.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a, a theme as I'm interviewing so many people. It's, it's when uh, we have our parent hat on oftentimes that we've are looking for something a little bit different. So you discovered what happened when you your child was a preschool. What what shifted for you?
1: Well, I actually did not set out to start a nature outdoor preschool <laughs> program. I knew I wanted to do a child led, very hands-on science-centered preschool, but really kind of lucked into the preschool location. Yeah. So this, this is my little guy and this is, this is who I started the preschool for because like I said, I really set out to do a child centered program. We had moved to Portland recently and I was looking around for preschools and Nothing was hitting me the right way Mm. when I would go to visit places. They really felt to me like I'm going to call them mini first grade where all of the children sat in either desk or tables labeled with their names and everybody did really cute little crafts where everybody did the exact same thing that the teacher showed them how to do and it looked very cute and everything was regimented and this is what we do at this time of day and this is what we do at this time of day and and I thought that's great for some time when they are older but I really wanted my child to have this time to explore to, to wonder, to follow that curiosity, to experiment with art materials. And so I kind of talked to my play group at the time and I said, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm looking for preschool and I'm not finding what I want. Why doesn't anybody have something? The other thing is that the preschools were all a half an hour's drive from right, right. where we live I'm like I'm going to yeah. drive half an hour for something that I don't think is right for my child. And I was telling this to my play group and they said, "Well, you're you're a teacher. Start a school. <laughs> you know, do it the way you want to do it." And so I started looking for locations and I just lucked into a location that was a converted barn right on the edge of a 31 mile trail maintained trail that we could access from the yard where the the barn was the on 364 acres oh of temperate rainforest and we are one of this section from portland up through vancouver british columbia Um, in Canada is the one of the last remaining temperate rainforests in the world and I thought you know I have lucked into this location how can you not use it how can you not have place-based education and take advantage of this fabulous resource where the children really can learn hands-on science and be involved with it every day and so at that point I I wasn't ready I came from like I said traditional public school educator and so we did we set it up where we were the beginning part of our day half of it inside and half of it outside and so that is how we did for seven or eight years just spending really a,
0: a, a hybrid you were you weren't fully outdoors
1: no, because I did I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I felt <laughs> like, you know, I'm not a naturalist. I'm not even somebody who really went camping. I had been camping once in my life at a KOA. If you've ever been to a KOA, they have showers and <laughs> a pool and plumbing. And so I I didn't really, I felt like I needed to know something to yeah to be out there, which I'm going to say isn't the case. So don't feel like you have to know something. Anybody who's listening yeah, to this? Yeah. I was wrong. That was how we started out. And then when COVID hit, we shut down in March of 2020, just like the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and then we were given the opportunity to reopen in June of 2020. The state was giving out emergency licensing credentials. If any preschool wanted to reopen, they had to go through a process with the state. And my process with the state to make everything safe for the children was, we're just going to go all outside and we're going to have lots of space. We have 364 acres of (laughs) space. I can give children six feet of space apart from each other. And ventilation I've got it. I've got open air. And and we did wear masks still. And the, you know, that first summer everybody came wearing masks, but really it was a COVID precaution. We really liked it. In giving children that space, it really cut down on a lot of, I'm going to call them for lack of a better word, behavioral issues that you sometimes see in preschool. Because if children needed the space, right? If they had a sensory integration issue and things were getting too loud for them, they could go sit under a tree and say, I want alone time now. I'm going to be by myself. And they had the space to do that. If they were a child that needed to run around, you know, before it was, okay, we're in a small space right now. We're in the converted barn and there's furniture. And so you can't run now. Just wait, just wait, just wait. You will be able to run when we go outside. Now. If you need to run, if you have that energy, you do it whenever you need it. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, voice, right? If you need to be loud, just move away from people. We have the space to do that. You know, move away from wherever anybody doesn't want to listen to you or loud. That was one thing that cut down on it is letting children be who they needed to be at the time that they needed to be it. And the other thing is we had far less stuff. I mean, part of that in the beginning was, you know, COVID in the beginning was sanitize everything, don't put anything out. Children can't touch the same thing. So we we figured out that we actually don't need a lot of stuff. Children can use their imaginations to turn a rock, a stick into whatever they need. And I have 50,000 of them. So I don't have as much of children arguing over the same baby doll or the same fire truck. And I mean, they still do. They still do figure out a way. Sometimes there's a stick that is shaped a particular way. (laughs) It's very special. (laughs) Um, And I only put it down for half a second. I was still using it. But on the whole, we've just found as teachers that it's actually much easier to be with the children outside. I think parents found it helpful too, because, I mean, the children not only had their buckets filled while they were here, being children, and like I said, being who they needed to be, I mean, it's a lot of energy they're expending. So when they went home, there was quiet time at home for parents. That's beautiful. And so Mm -hmm. we people ask me, you know, now that COVID is kind of you know, coming under control. Are you going to go back? And I have no plans to go back to that sort of hybrid that we had before. We Absolutely. go inside if there's dangerous weather. So you've been
0: transformed as an as an educator. Yeah. Yes, yes. To really, uh, to, to someone who really learning on the job, so to speak, forced by, by COVID in many ways. Again, for those that are listening to the podcast, we are looking at visuals again for our tour and talk. And if you are a Circle member, you can come into our lovely membership and come and join us in these incredible tour and talks and see the pictures. And we are looking at, oh, I can't, it's just gorgeous. It's your rainforest and this huge tree that came up is knocked down and with some incredible beautiful moss on it and children climbing across yes so we we now instead of splitting our time
1: inside outside we have a yard space and so we split our time yard space and forest mm. part of that is for ease for parents to find us if they always know that they're dropping off their child in the yard space And then we kind of start our day in the yard space and then we'll go into the forest as a group. And then when the parents come back to pick up their children, we're back in that yard space. It just makes it easier for the parents. The other thing that I explain, because a lot of times parents will ask, do you have a play structure? Well, we don't have a play structure because (laughs) we have trees to climb. Yeah. We have this tree is probably about four feet off the ground where it wow. fell. And so the, you can see some children are bare walking across it. Some children are testing their balance by walking across it. Usually by the end of the year, most children are running <laughs> across wow, really? particular log. Um, they get really good at their... Their sense of balance, their um, sensory motor, and their kind of how they exist in space. The children get really good at figuring it out. Now, some children won't touch that log until halfway through the year. Interesting. Or yeah, but generally a two-year program. I have one little girl that she went through her whole first year just watching the other children, <laughs> and then. You at the beginning of this year, decided to bare walk across it and said, "This is my first time." I'm like, "Yes, it is.
0: Oh. Yes, it
1: is." They will do things when they're comfortable, yeah. Doing it.
0: This is a pictures of your program in the beginning, as you were yeah. So we were talking this, about earlier
1: in the beginning. This is our on that left hand side is the indoor space. So just fairly traditional indoor space I do say that like I said we were child led and so a lot of loose parts a lot of freedom for children to move those loose parts wherever they needed to go a lot of freedom for children to choose what they were working on but we were you know inside and it looked like a preschool
0: classroom Yeah, yeah And then you have another, you have a little boy here that's sorting leaves indoors. Again, this is the indoor. Yeah, so we we started by,
1: like I said, we started kind of dipping, dipping my toes into nature. And this is what I would suggest to anybody else. You don't have to do all or nothing. You don't have to be forced by COVID right. <laughs> to do it know, do what you're comfortable with and do it a little bit at a time. We realized that the leaves stick to the flannel board uh, and in fact this child had kind of discovered that for us. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> he's making a pattern uh, with the leaves and so that was one of one of the first things is just to kind of bring nature indoors and to make it one of our loose parts that we're playing with as a way to kind of dip our toes into it. we did a lot of hikes in the beginning, which just kind of let's see what the children are going to notice and just kind of go with the flow. And so we usually start our day for again, lack of a better term, we're going to call it circle time. It's not, I've since learned that circle time is like an actual process that somebody coined that said that you it's a very specific thing that you do with children. And so I don't do that specific thing. So generally how we start our day is as a group and we do some welcome songs. We almost always read a book. Some read a book. I should say we almost always tell a story. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's from a book. Sometimes it's storytelling with puppets or with other props. And then in our child-led process, we have a floor book. And so we will usually take a look at our floor book and see kind of what we did yesterday, reflect on it a little bit, make our plan for the day. And so you can see some children, the floor book is kind of a shared thing so that the children, the children write in it, they are gluing some sort of picture in it. we We had taken a picture of a beetle that we found on the paintbrushes. And so we were starting a little process for looking for insects. Oh, neat. And so that's what we decided we were going to do kind of at the beginning of spring, as you can tell from what the kids are wearing, that we're still kind of bundled up but this was this was what we had decided we were going to do we were going to start looking for insects and identifying them so they are gluing some other i don't know if the drawings of insects that they've done into the floor book so that we can look them up on guides and then I usually do the writing in the floor book but that's how we start our day we do have a routine and a rhythm to our day and that allows us to be flexible And then after we do kind of that morning meeting time, then the children have time to play in the yard. And these are pictures of the yard. And so we have um, the picture on the left is we have a working garden. And by working garden, that means that we aim to use the vegetables that we grow in our garden as base materials for our snack. We're on a little bit of a hiatus. The children used to help cook the snack as mm. one of their possibilities that they could do after our group meeting. We're waiting a little bit longer for COVID, RSV, yeah. everything to die down, but. We do, the children still do plan the garden. We've just finished up tracking our temperature and our sunlight. So we did a couple of weeks where the children would go into the garden. We drew little pictures of where where the sun was following, where the shade was, so we could kind of get the pattern of it. And then taking soil temperatures so that we could choose plants and place them in the garden in a place that made sense. And so we do this every year. The children plan the garden, and sometimes they stick to their guns. We are at elevation in the Pacific Northwest, and (laughs) two years ago, they were convinced they were going to grow corn. And so... We planted the corn anyway. I figure it's a good experiment. It's a learning process. Um, So, you know, I try not to tell them no. I try to give them advice and let's look at the temperatures and let's look at what it says. But And then when we do go into the garden, there are some other garden activities. So we have a paint wall. So that is what the girl is doing there. It's just... Acrylic sheets that actually were baby proofing sheets that you were supposed to put, you had like slats on the stairs, and you're supposed to spread it across. So that allows them to see the forest behind the garden and maybe use that as inspiration. We also have acrylic animals that we bring into the garden so that they can pretend dinosaurs and lizards are popular, that they can pretend like the animals, some dramatic play, that the animals are in the jungle. We also sometimes bring books into the garden. And they can, we sometimes go there as a group or children can go there at any time. They also have their own planter pots where they cultivate their own things. And so right now they like going in to check on, most of the children chose to plant bulbs in the fall. And so they're checking as the leaves are poking up
0: the ground right now. Wonderful. And then you've got some other wonderful Wonderful spaces for the children. Yeah, so we today. have
1: both a playhouse and a treehouse. Yeah. Um. And every time we go to the treehouse, we mm-hmm. generally add something to it, and the children help me. So that's why that tube is kind of taped, yeah. and we the children <laughs> kind of set it up, and then we ran. Uh, well, we started by running cars through it like little matchbox cars. Um, that didn't work so well. We were testing it to try to figure out how to turn it so that gravity helped us. Our next thing, uh, one of the little girls decided that the treehouse is plain. So we have some all weather fabric that we're going to be decorating the treehouse um, <laughs> shortly at the end oh, of this week.
0: I love Bye. it. <laughs> I love it. And you've got um, some mud kit. Now this is sort of looks like a water. You know what? It was or a water mud kitchen. It's turned like it's it, turned
1: into a mud kitchen. Because again, that's a COVID story. So it was a water table. And for the longest time, we only used it as a water table. And then we were not allowed. I don't know how different states handled this, but when we reopened in June of 2020, we were not allowed to have water tables yeah. in preschool. And so your Pacific Northwest, it is very rainy and very wet. And so the children just kind of on their own used the dirt that was on the ground. When it was wet, we have a little water catchment. They just added water to it. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell the children not to play with the mud on the ground. Right. So, right. (laughs) um, So it just kind of gradually turned into a mud kitchen and then we we sometimes add elements to it. Anytime I get flowers, like Ooh. as a gift or something, I usually they usually have a second life yeah. somewhere in the preschool. So these were just cut up and put into the mud kitchen so that they could use them in their soups. But- On the right? We do bring things from inside outside. Those are tree blocks, and they are mixed with it looks like some actual bark and Mm -hmm. some scarves we have the little counting bears and show you know just just as i said you could bring nature inside you can bring your inside pieces outside and again if you are just dipping your toes in that's a great start whatever you're doing inside just bring it outside yeah bring the blocks outside bring the book outside see what happens
0: wonderful activity and the child is replicating what's in the book and it's a stick structure yeah we were uh, we were at that point, this was in the fall, where the children
1: had noticed the birds migrating. And so they had a lot of questions about birds. So we, you know, floor book in the, in the morning, we were very deep into birds. They are still into birds. Once preschoolers get into something and they feel like it's it topic, <laughs> even though we're really not focused on that right now, they're still noticing birds everywhere. So we had noticed kind of the nests. We had been talking about what kind of materials in our yard, in our y- forest the birds would use for nests and so she's just using play-doh to replicate a a nest that she found in a book
0: i love it i love it and a beautiful i just can't get over how lush and green your space is it's incredible you have rain oh it's just beautiful (laughs) and then in the middle of it you have this beautiful sandbox i mean it's so uh, sort of unexpected Yeah. And so
1: we wanted, I wanted a sand pit
0: really where they
1: could sit in the sand and make large scale creations rather than just a sand table. And they, again, they can, they can transport the water to yeah. the sand table we do often have that sand pit is often wet we do keep it covered when we're not there just to keep animals out of it yeah Um the cover doesn't keep it from getting wet but this one it looks like it was in the summer this picture so oh, they're, they're um,
0: sweet girls and their dresses and it's just beautiful beautiful they look so happy nicole they just it's like heaven they just yeah. look, they're just in heaven There's no other word for it there. And all the little invitations for learning that you've provided them. And I can see why you would never want to go back inside because it's also just so absolutely gorgeous.
1: Yes. It's lovely. Most of the year, even when it's snowing, just Mm. to do the forest bathing for yourself, (laughs) feel like you are in the forest. And we have, I know that when we have the way that you've set out your side space is kind of, you know, with little zones. Mm-hmm. And so we have zones in the forest that I'd say kind of naturally lend themselves to different types of play. We mm. do have a creek. It's the longest walk that we do because obviously the creek is downhill. Um, and so that means when you're hiking back, <laughs> it's all uphill. <laughs> The little girl in the picture is actually building a dam. This every year, they notice that things block the water. They notice the water flowing faster or slower in the winter. They notice where it gets deeper. And so that lends itself to a lot of engineering activities. I had a child once who was afraid to jump over the creek, or there's also a log that they can walk across to get across the creek. It's not that far. They can also splash across but a friend noticed that this child was really hesitant to walk across the creek, and so he, he took some large stones and built a little bridge for his friend to get across the creek. We try to go there as often as we can, we entice the children to do some interesting thinking around the creek and the water. Oh, yeah. And just like the picture on the right, sometimes we bring things in with us. Sometimes it's just us in the forest. This particular one, again, it was kind of like the treehouse that they wanted to decorate it. This is called the dragon tree. And unfortunately, the top of it is kind of cut off. But it's called the dragon tree because of the shape of it, one tree fell against another tree in such a way that it really does look like a dragon nibbling leaves off of a tree and they decided that the dragon needed some clothes <laughs> um, so we we brought we brought strips of fabric into the forest and they are basically practicing not tying and the one little girl is balancing on the log wow yeah. practicing
0: knot tying. <laughs> um, so that's huge I mean that's just don't get that I mean it's just and then you're outside in this gorgeous Gorgeous environment. So do you feel like you're obviously you've been sort of commenting on this a lot, but there's some interesting things in this picture. But as we chat, um, do you feel like your philosophy of nature play has changed over the years that you have moved completely outdoors? Um, yes, I think that in the beginning, I felt
1: like two things. One, I felt like I had to know everything and I had to be the naturalist mm. and show them, you know, this is the sword fern and these are the fiddleheads. And this is and really, that is not what children want, right? They want you to be a learner alongside them. They want to ask a question. You know, we had one in the fall. You know, what is this goo on the tree? And it mm. wasn't sap, and it looked a little bit like a fungus, but it wasn't a fungus. And the children were very interested in it. It, it was kind of squishy, but it didn't. It didn't flow like sap, and I didn't know what it was. And they they asked me, "What is it?" And I said, "I don't know. Let's take some observations. Let's mm. talk about it. What do we notice?" what let's take I'll take a picture of it if you want to, you can draw it. We've we'll figured it out. Um, and then I just kind of I asked some other forest school teachers to you know what this is. My children are very curious, and it turned out to be gumosis, which is actually a, a trauma response huh. from a tree. when a tree isn't healthy. It's almost like an oozing wound, so a trauma response from a tree. In my not having the answers for the children, it actually opens things up for them and gives them that opportunity to observe, to do their own thinking. And then how do we figure things out? We can look in a book. We can go on the internet. We can ask people that we think might be knowledgeable. We can do some experiments. I think the other thing that has changed over the years is that I don't feel like I have to fill time. Mm. I think in the beginning, it was a real nervous thing of like, well, what if we go into the forest and we don't have anything to do and they're all staring at me or or they go nuts, right? Like, Because I think sometimes people say, oh, you have a forest school and they think that these are just wild children, you know, going crazy in a free for all, you know, in the forest. And it really isn't that. We have routines in the forest just like we have in the yard where we will visit our sit spots or we will do a couple of kind of safety things, particularly when we first go to the creek um, where we know every time we go there, we're going to check the depth and the speed of the water. It never gets to a point that it's dangerous, but it's a good practice for the children to get into. Sometimes when we go to a new place in the forest, we'll talk about the boundaries. Should we always start out with kind of a safety briefing of of a new place. And so I think those two things are just to relax a little bit and trust where the children are going with everything.
0: Oh, your tips and tricks are wonderful. And I love that you are sharing with our listeners that you don't have to be the expert and that I think a lot of folks stop there. They don't get past that step of just getting outdoors. So I really appreciate you sharing just that insight for yourself that learning alongside of children is, can be a miraculous experience for both of you. Thank you for that. Tell us what's happening in this picture then. Yes. So this is,
1: this is an example of old led, being in the moment, what this is, is, you know, as I said, in the fall, we were, we were knee deep in birds. We were studying all things birds and we are a two year program, which means that every year we get new children, but we have some children that remain. And so a lot of times I'd say program philosophies get ingrained and you don't really need to tell children. And so at this point, children know that we are child lens. So a lot of times they'll say to me, you know what we should investigate next? We should investigate what leaves are falling from the tree. One little girl came to me and she said, I, she said, we should do an experiment to figure out how you keep eggs from breaking. (laughs) And and a lot of the other children are like, yeah, we should figure out how, you know, how we keep eggs from breaking. And now this is, there's a little bit of a give and take with, you know, child led, but teacher facilitated. And so for me, when, what happens when a child comes to me with an idea is sometimes there's a lag. I, sometimes I can do it immediately. If it's a simple thing, like I want to, I want the peeler so that I can shave a bark off of a a stick, that I can probably go get in the moment. But sometimes this particular one, sometimes it might take a few days where I'm thinking, okay, they want to know an experiment of how an egg can break or we can keep an egg from breaking. So I'm thinking, what materials do I need to have available for them? Yeah. Because I'm going to kind of lead them through this experiment, but I'm not going to tell them what to do, but I need to have the materials ready. And so- One, I wanted to make sure it was relevant to birds. So I was thinking, yes, I could do a classic egg drop experiment, but we're knee deep in studying birds. So probably this question came from how are birds keeping their babies safe? Mm. Um, And so, you know, we had already read a lot about birds. So we just kind of started, got the materials ready, kind of thinking we're going to do variation of an egg drop. We got plastic bags, which are completely reusable. If you're looking for something sustainable, you can wash them out and reuse them. But what I wanted was something that closed at the top just in case the eggs broke so that we didn't have a big mess, mess to clean <laughs> up. Um, and so we started out by just brainstorming how do birds keep their eggs safe? What do they have access to? And I'm like, okay, they build nests. Well, let's look around. What kind of materials? could birds build their nests out of? What are they going to use if they're here at Wildwood Nature School? And so the children just came up with a list and I just tracked it all down in our floor book. And they, one of the things that's there is the sand from our sandbox. And so afterwards, the children just kind of chose from that list, what do they want to build their nests out of? So Mm -hmm. some children chose water, some grass, there's some leaves, there's some soil. Like I said, sand from the sandbox. So you be the bird build your nest and then put your egg safely inside your nest and then we just we talked a little bit about how to make an experiment valid how to reduce any variables mm-hmm. that are not there so you know what's the difference so we talked a little bit about what if somebody throws their bag and somebody places it on the ground whose is going to break you know yeah so yeah they just decided they were all going to just hold out their hands And drop the bags. And we didn't go so far as to say, well, you're all different heights. But, you know, that was (laughs) for me for a preschool, uh, you know, version of getting rid of variables. And so that's kind of a, it was a child-led experiment where I gave some guidance, but left it to them to try to figure out how are we going to find the answer to our question. And I'm trying to remember now what, surprisingly, the water didn't help at all. Mm. um you can see that egg is That's completely dope. split they they then came to the conclusion that grass and leaves actually make soft nests like pillows um and that That's was brilliant. a good choice for the birds in our area
0: and i love the vocabulary that they're picking up along the way so it's just been i could talk to you all day long this is just absolutely gold 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 is there anything else you'd like to share with us and our community and Oh yeah, this is, this is a sit spot. So this is one of those dip your toes in
1: when I didn't know what to do. I was trying to fill time, but still be child led. (laughs) I found out about sit spots. And this was one of the very first routines that we did in the forest. And that is just where every child chooses a space in the forest that they return to that same space over and over and over again to observe changes, seasonal changes as they're happening. Or sometimes we do mindfulness activities. Sometimes we practice using our senses for observation. And sometimes those sit spots lead to a larger investigation. Why remember one time children were noticing the changing of the leaves and they noticed at one point kind of crunchy leaves underneath their feet. And then at some point all the leaves kind of disappeared. Mm. And so the question we wanted to explore is where did the leaves go? Yeah. So what happened to them? And so that led to a lot of more science activities about composting, about what soil is made out of, and then further investigation of soil. Highly recommend if you're, you have nothing to do in the forest, <laughs> find a sit spot and, or do it outside. You don't have to be in a forest to do a sit spot.
0: Your children are all preschools.
1: Yeah, so it's three to five. So it's the two years before
0: kindergarten. And your three-year-olds could do the sit spot. And so we start out
1: very slow. So the very first thing we do is we learn how to choose a sit spot. Mm. And that's all we do. We learn what makes a good sit spot. Well, you you want to be able to sit. That's the one thing. So that means, you know, we're not going to climb a tree for the Uh sit spot, right? So we go through that. You want to be able to be by yourself so that you have that space and time. So you want to be far enough away from other people and you want to have interesting things to observe. So we, you know, first time that's all we do is we choose our sit spot and we practice remembering where it is. And that might take a few days (laughs) until we get that down. And then The next time we go into the sit spot, all we're doing is we're practicing being in our sit spot. So we might set a timer for 30 seconds or a minute, whatever we think it is. And with no real, just go, go observe and be in your sit spot. Come back and tell us the most exciting thing that's in your sit spot today. And so we kind of build up the time. We build up the processes for what you can be doing in your sit spot. This is later in the year where this child has a clipboard and uh, they take notes, but their child, their child, oh yeah, notes, that's the you know, best. it's a drawing or it's a scribble across the page that, you know, they'll read back to me and tell me what it
0: is. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, the best. It's beautiful. Folks have
1: questions. Where could that we find you? Um, two places you can find me. So you can find Wildwood Nature School. We have a Facebook page. We have a website. Um, you can also email me. I'm N Fravel, like the last name, at wildwoodnatureschool.com. Or I also have a separate Facebook, Instagram account and website that's Wildwood Teaching. And that is for me to share any insights. I've gained over these 13, 14 years of my transformation to an all outdoor preschool so that other people can not have the same trepidation that I had and start in a different place. And so that's hub.wildwoodteaching.com, or you can look for Wildwood Teaching on Facebook or Instagram, and it's the same email address if you want to contact me personally. Perfect.
0: Thank you so much for your time and all your stories and golden nuggets. It just looks absolutely gorgeous. And these young children are so lucky to be in your space and with your incredible openness in terms of uh, just being curious learners and you learning right, al- right alongside with them. But they're going to be some pretty special adults. So I want to thank you again.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. To keep this conversation going, connect with me on Instagram. I'm always looking for an excuse to talk about outdoor classrooms. If you are looking for support in launching, managing, and sustaining your outdoor classroom, join us in the circle our outdoor classrooms membership community. I'll see you there next time. Don't forget to jump in the mud with the outdoor school shop using the code podcast at checkout to get 20% off any rain gear category. See you next time. Bye.